really were struggling with finding this family. Why are we still fighting with courts to do the right thing and actually protect children? No judge should be that ignorant. No judge should be that blatantly irresponsible. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous, multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code best case. That's code best case. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, former New York City prosecutor, retired FBI profiler and writer producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today live from Atlanta is... Hi everybody, it's Francie Hakes. Jim, welcome back to Atlanta. Well, it's great to be here. And today we have a very special guest. Hi, I'm Patty Daly-Lewis, Executive Director of the Bo Biden Foundation, former Deputy Attorney General with the Delaware Department of Justice. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here, Patty. And today, we want to talk about your best case. And people have different reasons for a case being best and different reasons for a case being worst. But can you just start off by telling us what kind of case this is for you? Well, actually, Jim, if you don't mind, I'd really like to get a tiny bit of background on Patty first, because I think her background is so unique. Our listeners may want to know how many years she was a prosecutor and when she became the executive director of the foundation. So, Patty? Well, on December 2nd, 1985, I walked into the Delaware Department of Justice, a brand new 25-year-old lawyer, and I wanted to change the world. And I said, I want to be assigned to work on cases with kids and families. The then Attorney General, Charlie Oberly, said, everyone says that, but they only stay for about six weeks before they run screaming from the job. <laughs> um, a couple years ago, Charlie brought over his summer law clerks from the US Department of Justice. He had ultimately become the United States Attorney, and he said, just about 28 years ago, I told this woman she would run screaming from this job, but she is still doing it. And I had an opportunity to talk with those young law students about why I chose this area of the law and my commitment to it. Um, I have worked both civil and criminal cases in pretty much every single aspect of kids and families, from uh, kidnappings to child custody to child abuse to adoption. So I had a, a very interesting career. Um, well, that's so interesting, Patty, too, because most prosecutors like me and Jim, former prosecutor, 
we certainly dealt with the criminal side of things. But because you were in the attorney general's office, you had civil responsibilities too, which is unusual. I certainly have never done any civil work on that. Right. And actually what Bo Biden did when he became the attorney general was create a division called the family division to put the criminal and the civil that work with kids and families, vulnerable adults together so that we understood what everybody was doing. I was the head of that division for nine years. That's how I retired. Oh, that's amazing. And when did you retire? What year? November 2015. And that was to head up the Bo Biden Foundation, right? Right. Um, shortly after Bo passed away, his family established a foundation for the protection of children and asked if I would uh, run that foundation. Wow. And so is that the event that that caused you to retire after all those years? I loved Bo. You know, there's few times you both understand this, when you have a passion for something in your job and you have a person who backs you 100%, who feels what you feel. And that, for me, that was Bo Biden. Um, the compassion that man had, how he moved forward on cases, thinking about the victims first, that was rare. And we had plans. He was running for governor when he passed away. We had plans how we were going to change things. And once he died, I saw the best way to change what upset Bo, what upset me, what hurts victims was to to run this foundation. That's great. And yeah, it's such a tragedy that he did pass away so young. And But it's a great thing that you're carrying on his mission by running this foundation in his name. I feel that way too. His mission to protect children will never end because of this. Well, and with that kind of, that many years of civil and criminal and now foundation work, I suspect you have a lot of best cases and a lot of worst cases. So let's talk about your best case first. What uh, what kind of case is it? Well, my best case, you'd be surprised when, when we start talking about it at the end of the day, happens to be a case simply referred to as the Matusowitz case. And it actually started as a parental kidnapping case. Uh, Mom and dad battling over custody. But immediately it was clear to us that this had nothing to do with custody. This was a domestic violence case. Well, you know, so many of these parental kidnapping cases end up being incredibly complicated. As a federal prosecutor, I handled some international parental kidnapping cases. And even as a state prosecutor, right here in Atlanta in Cobb County, I handled a very notorious case where a mother snatched her kids and took them to a different state and said their father was abusing them. Well, that's exactly what happened here, and it was an international case. So I did get to work again with my friends in the United States Attorney's Office, which we did very often, maybe because Delaware is a small state, I don't know, maybe it's because um, we all respected each other and what we did, but it started as an international kidnapping case. This gentleman was an eye doctor, um, divorced from his his wife who actually had worked in the office and she had some issues with getting housing being able to stand on her own she was an incredible mom an incredible woman they had three daughters and he told her he was taking the kids to Disney um, bought a Winnebago with ill-gotten gains which is the other reason it became a federal case because he defrauded the bank out of a quarter of a million dollars Mm. and put those little girls, one of whom um, significantly cognitively impaired, Mm. in a a Winnebago and told them they were going to Disney. 
And this was, obviously, they lived in Delaware, because that's where you were. Right. And so they were divorced. How long had they been divorced when he was taking the kids, supposedly, to Disney? I would say maybe a year, year and a half. But remember, he had, they had joint custody. It wasn't like he was denied the right to see them. They were actually living with him until she was able to get housing that could accommodate three kids. Right. She then told him, I have the housing to accommodate three kids, and the next thing you know, they're all gone. They're off to Disney World. Right. Okay, so what point in your career did this case come to you? Let's see, it was probably started in 2006, 2005, 2006. So I'd been around 20 years. Okay, so what were you doing? What was your job at the time? What was happening when you, this case came in? I was the head of the family division at the Delaware Department of Justice, and Bo uh, Biden came into my office and he said, hey, can you call this woman back? She called and said she thinks her kids have been kidnapped, and the police say, well, he has custody, so they wouldn't take a report. Mm. And I did. I called her back, Christine Belford. That's when we actually became friends. Um, and she told me her story. And I think a lot of times people think if there's a custody order, you can't kidnap somebody. But that's not accurate. In fact, it's called interference with custody. And I'm sure you know that um, it is a felony if you remove a child from a state. So he had the kids. I guess when she called it in and talked to 911, they said, well, he has custody. There's nothing we can do. And how do you even know he's kidnapped them? And they didn't. They weren't even concerned about the fact that one of the children was was developmentally disabled. No, because right? he's a doctor. Wow. So, how long after he quote went to Disney did she make this complaint? I would say she got a call from the oldest daughter to to uh, talk to her about Disney, and she said, "Mom, I know something to the effect like I don't think we're going to Disney. I, we haven't gotten to Disney yet." And of course, Mom understands that from. Delaware to Orlando, you should already be there when so she got this call. So it's days later. Yes. Okay. And how old are the children? Oh, let me think. They Just were probably six, um, three, four, three or four, and the youngest one I think was eighteen months. Wow. Oh, and nice. he took his mom okay. with him, which will be important later on in the story. Okay, okay, so it's days after. Mom says. I can now have the kids at least part of the time as part of our joint custody. I'm, I've got stable housing. Dad says, oh, I'm taking the girls to Disney. And mom go, his mom goes along. And at some point, the six-year-old calls her mom and says, I don't think we're going to Disney. We're not in Disney is what she said. We're, we're not there yet. So Christine thinks, well, they should be there. I think there's a problem. Did she ask her daughter if she had seen any road signs? Uh figured out where they were. She, the little girl said, I don't know where we are. Mm. Interesting. And so then she calls police. They didn't give her any satisfaction, so she was smart enough to call the attorney general's office. Right. Actually, she ended up talking to Bo Biden at an event. Wow. Wow. And he took her number down, wrote it on a piece of paper. He always had in his breast pocket, he always had a long envelope. And he would write notes on that envelope. <laughs> and so... Um, he came into my office and said, can you call this woman, Christine Belford, said her kids are gone. She called the police and they said, because he has custody, there's nothing they can do about it. And that's when I called her back and she told me the story. I asked her for the custody order. She gave it to me and I called the police myself. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the uh, 
guess she was, maybe she was a detective then, um, my friend Trish, Trish Davies, and she said, PDL, I'm on that. We'll go out to the house, take a look. PDL, said, so yeah. just so our <laughs> listeners know, PDL is for Patty Daly Lewis. Right. And apparently that's her nickname with the police officer. Yeah. Oh, see, PDL. now I'm totally calling you PDL. <laughs> and I'm really jealous because I wish I had letters like that. That's she great. said, PDL will go out to his house. And they went out, and she went out with another detective, Jeff Schreiner, and um, who will also become important later in the story. And she said, hey, you know, give me a boost up. Let me look in the window. And she looked in the window, and it was completely empty. And it was a big, fancy house. Wow. And she knew it was a problem. Wow. Right so there away. must have been a moving truck at some point then. <laughs> the, the place was emptied out. Wow. Wow. And had he sold the house or just Abandoned. taken off? Abandoned it. Wow. I guess he sold it in a, in a um, what I would consider to be an unorthodox sort of way. Oh, okay. So he used the house apparently to get the $250,000, but it was fraudulent because... He had names forged on to the title. Got it. So he got a $250,000 Winnebago. He was traveling in style. It wasn't like he was running around in a tin right. can, right? So it was one of those big bus-type Winnebagos. Right. Wow. And to Jim's point that he often makes in training and things, this was obviously planned. There's yeah. some planning involved. This wasn't exactly. a spur of the moment. Exactly. Exactly. So he was waiting for the opportunity, and as soon as she, the wife, the ex-wife, the mother of these kids, said that she was actually able to take her daughters now, he executed the plan. Right. Wow. All right, so what's the next thing that happened in the case? Well, the detectives started working the case and were able to trace him to Texas, and then ultimately were able to trace him to South America. Oh, wow. And we, we had leads, and they, they evaporated. I remember one time we got a call um, to have Christine go and, and look at or give some, some DNA or some information because they thought they found the body of, <gasps> of one of the kids in Texas. Oh, and my God, she what a was, horror for her. Right, and it was horrible um it was not her daughter um and we we really were struggling with finding this family mm. so as again happened um john walsh from america's most wanted um, knew the biden family actually grew up i believe grew up with bo's biological mother bo's mother was killed in a car accident when bo was was little and bo's mother and sister were killed in that car accident and said he would put this on America's Most Wanted. Wow. Amazing. And calls started coming in, and they were located in Nicaragua. You wow. know, it's, it's interesting you say that. I was just about, literally just about to ask you whether this father had any international ties. You know, we, we heard about, at the U.S. Attorney's Office, we would hear all the time about, um, it always seemed to be women marrying men, especially from the Middle East. And once they had children, mm -hmm. the men would take them, and then the women would never see the kids again. Because in, right. in some cultures, anyway, over there, in some the countries, men. men have custody, women don't. They actually women own no the rights. children. Yeah, exactly. They actually own, I had a case like that. Yeah. They actually own the children. Oh, man. It's terrible. Well, So I Nicaragua. Was, I was going to ask, though, before we get to Nicaragua, 
do you do you know what the motive was? I mean, was this a case where he really loved the kids and didn't want to separate himself from it, or this was a way to get back at his ex? This is a way to punish her. You know what he told the kids? That she had killed herself. Oh, my God. Oh, Patty. So this was an act of domestic violence, which so many of these cases are. I mean, it makes no sense that if you really loved your kids, you would take away their mother who was devoted. Well, nor would you put them through the mental torture of telling them their mother was dead can you and imagine, killed herself. Can you imagine no. telling these little... And really, only the oldest understood. Of course. Which, again, will come back later in the story to be a significant issue. And then, did the mother have any opportunity to try to reach out to her again, the six-year-old? Or did... Was her phone taken away? The next time she... Oh, she had no phone. They had nothing. They changed... They they had the kids assume new identities when they got there. Wow. Um, so they were actually... Now we're back to Nicaragua. They actually took up camp in mm-hmm. Nicaragua? Yep. Wow. I mean, Nicaragua is not exactly the uh, friendliest territory to be in. Uh, I've been there. I spent some time down there doing... Uh, working with uh, authorities and all of the... Central American countries, um, because there was a lot of child trafficking going on and um, child abductions that uh, led to sexual victimization. And, you know, it was a very, very sort of war zone kind of environment. Well, and I'm curious as to who or how they got reported to be there. I mean, was someone in Nicaragua watching America's Most Wanted? They, the FBI started getting calls. Wow. But I think they probably stood out where they were. Yeah. Because, you know, here's these blonde-haired, blue-eyed little girls um, with a dad and a grandmom, which is kind of an odd thing to see in the middle right. of Nicaragua. Well, and so the dad wasn't from Nicaragua then? No, no. He was, he was not from Nicaragua. And his mother had been living in Texas before she came up to Delaware, um, and, and helped the family was all totally intertwined with the plot to, to destroy, destroy Christine Belford. That was the goal, to destroy her. And what period of time are we talking about, just approximately, if you don't remember exactly, but from the time that she first contacted you to the time the kids were spotted in Nicaragua. How long a time period? It was about 18 months. Oh my kids God, were gone. she was without her children for that long. Right. Wow. And her children thought she was dead. Now I want to, I just have to say this. Now I want to kill the guy myself, which I'm sure you did too. So what happened next? Well, that's when the oldest girl found out, or all the girls found out, but she was the one who, who definitely bore the emotional brunt of what had happened to her. Um, police moved in, took the kids, dad and grandma under arrest, brought back to the US, to Miami. First time, I'll never forget that little girl saying to me, it was the first time I was on an airplane. Wow. Was from Nicaragua, to Miami and when her mother walked into that police station imagine it still gives me chills thinking about her mother walking in there with this little girl thinking her mother had been dead 
and that she had killed herself. Wow. You know, I lost my father when I was 12 and the pain of losing a parent. But for that little girl, now here the woman stands before her. Amazing. And, and was that the first knowledge she had that her mother was actually alive? I mean, that's I think the police probably told, told her, her that. But until she probably didn't come in to get you. Right. But, you know, in her mind for the last over a year, her mom had been dead. Wow. Well, and her dad told her that. She had right. no reason to doubt her father. It's her father. And so, I wish that was a crime. I wish telling your child I think it's that your mother is dead is it should, it's certainly cruelty to children. And under Georgia law, I might have tried to prosecute him for that. Yeah. Endangering the welfare of a child. Absolutely. Yeah. Terrible. Well, you said that the grandmother was going to become important in the story again. So yep. tell us about her. What the heck was she doing? Well, so I get a call from a man, the grandfather, who did not go on the trip, was living in Texas. Grandmom is in a jail in Miami um, getting ready to be brought back to Delaware. And dad's in jail. Dad's in okay. jail getting ready to be brought back to Delaware. He's going to be prosecuted by the feds because the bank tie-in. We're going to prosecute grandma because of the state charge. I get this call from a man, and he says to me, my name is Tom Matusiewicz. Uh, I want you to sign the papers to release my wife from jail. And I said, I'm really not sure where you're getting the story. Our lawyer said, you're not going to bring charges against her. I said, well, your lawyer is woefully mistaken, and we will be bringing charges, and we will seek a prison sentence. And this guy let loose on me with a litany of insults and profanity. Now, I wish I could tell you I'd never heard it, but that would be a lie. <laughs> well, that um, doesn't sound like it was very helpful for his wife he, or his Do you, my wife sits in the, in the Dade County Jail. Do you know who sits in the Dade County Jail? I said, well, I think other criminals are sitting with her. And he went nuts on me. We'll see you in court, blah, 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 curse, 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 curse. And I said, party yeah, on, sir. We will. Party on. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you. And we did, and we prosecuted her. I tell you the truth, was afraid she wasn't going to get jail. Because she was a she, grandma. A little grandma. And that's when the story, Christine Belfer was abusing our grandchildren, oh, so we had to steal them. So we That's were saving when them. we have this story. We're saving them. You know, it, it's so interesting, Patty, that you talk about being worried grandma won't get convicted. I prosecuted a grandma once myself. It was in my first DA's office. And two, their two little precious grandchildren, ages five and seven, accused grandma and grandpa of sexually abusing them. They said grandma would abuse them while grandpa watched. Um, wearing a wolf mask, sometimes grandpa did. But they were very clear that Grandma had been a hands-on offender. The jury convicted Grandpa, outright acquitted Grandma. And I talked to them afterward and said, you clearly believed the children. Because it was one of those he said, she said yeah. sort of things. There was no other evidence. And you clearly believe what the children said. How could you not believe them about Grandma? Here's what they said. Oh, no. We believe them. I th we think she molested them. But we think she was just doing it because her husband told her, and she grew up in an age where you do what your husband said. Oh, 
So I totally get what you're saying about worrying that grandma won't get convicted. She was this little old lady who looked very, you know, docile Oh, yeah, nice. when you look at the pictures of her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I will tell you at the end of the day, I believe she is was the mastermind of everything that went on from wow. the kidnapping forward. But... Um, so you, you tried her. You went to trial. Well, she actually pled guilty, but she pled guilty because she believed she was going to walk. And we have, she happened to have, I should say, the bad luck to, um, to have a former attorney general who, again, passionately committed to protecting children. And when she heard the story, she said, you will go to jail for as long as you deprived them of their mother. So you think grandma was mastermind mm -hmm. and she pled guilty believing she was not going to go to jail. Right. And she got 18 months. Dad, prosecuted by the feds, got 48 months for the two charges of kidnapping and interference with custody. Wow. What was probably most upsetting to me in that circumstance was that the government was denied their request for a no contact order with dad. Seriously? Mm hmm. So mom then had to go to state court to get a no contact order with dad. And ultimately, it became clear because grandparents continued to harass mom while dad was in jail that mom needed to take the unusual but important step of seeking to terminate dad's parental rights, right. which is not done usually. It's very done very rarely when, even when a dad's in jail, it's done very rarely. But in this circumstance, after a seven-day trial, the judge wrote probably a 40-page opinion on why dad and his family were so dangerous to these children that it, they could not be contained with simply no contact orders. That dad had to, his rights had to be terminated. Yeah, I find it just appalling, and I let's talk about this a little bit more, because just this week in the news I read where there was a rapist who uh, raped, a, I think, 12 or 13-year-old girl, got her pregnant. She had the baby, uh -huh. and a court has now given him visitation rights oh my god with that little girl that he fathered via rape so of a girl yes so what is it why patty you've been fighting these issues for many decades i fought these issues jim fought these issues between us we have i don't know 100 years or something of experience why are we still fighting with courts to do the right thing and actually protect Children. I, I'm just shocked. I, I have spent so much time, especially with Bo as the AG, wanting to right every wrong against kids. And I'm telling you, we need to change the statutes. We need to make sure that there is a way, that there are some strict prohibitions. And I'm going to tell you why I think it happens. I think it happens because there is still this attitude that when a man has sex with a 12 or 13 year old, that's a-okay. The girl understood what she was doing. That's why I think it happens. Yeah. I think in that case, I've read that case too, and I wish I could say I was surprised. Um, I think we need to do a better job with our termination of parental rights statutes around the country. 
to make certain crimes, like we already have in Delaware, we have a felony, commission of a felony ground. And hey, it's my favorite ground. I call in the prothonotary. I say, Your Honor, this is the prothonotary. Can you tell us whether or not you have a certified conviction against that person over there? And the prothonotary starts reading them. Okay. And I hand it in. Case Almost close. It's shocking, but neither Jim nor I know what prothonotary is. The person who keeps the records of the court. Okay. We do not have that in New York or California. She must be thrilled that I've given her attention. Everyone look at that. Prothonotary. So the prothonotary keeps the records of the court. Okay. All you have to do is bring in the certified conviction, and you've proven ground one of a termination of parental rights, which is? Committing a felony. That's one of the grounds. You have to prove that ground, and you have to prove that it's in the best interest of the child. And that's, for some cases, difficult. You and I, Jim, you, we, all feel, we all see these offenders for what they are. They are predators. Mm-hmm. And totally. to let a, a person, and whether it was a man or a woman, to let a person who preys on children. Because I think in that case, you and I both read, it was a second offense. I think that's right. Unbelievable. Uh-huh. Oh, the guy's Unbelievable. But, but why is the judge in office? Why is the judge still but sitting on a Because the she law the right. allows this to happen. Jim, we talked about yesterday, a five-year sentence for a guy that rapes a child? They should be in jail forever. Right. Totally agreed. Well, and you know, you've got this, it's the pervasive attitude that wasn't mm-hmm. just in 2006 whenever this case happened to you, but it's even today, just this week again, a different case mm-hmm. I was reading from England where a 30-some-year-old teacher has uh. abused a 15-year-old boy. And you know what the judge said in passing sentence? The judge said, well, I can certainly see why the child would have found this an attractive offer. They don't what even kind s- of attitude is that? But they don't even say that the child is a victim. They say a consensual relationship. And I remember calling up the newspaper in a recent case just screaming at the reporter, have you lost your mind? You know, oftentimes, Jim, our listeners will send out uh, tweets to us and, and our Facebook page and ask us what kind of things they can do. Well, that is a perfect idea, PDL. It's a perfect idea. Our listeners should start writing these websites, letters to the editor. Whenever things Newspapers, are described as wrong, they should be writing And them. if a judge makes a decision like that, putting that child that he fathered through rape of a child for the second time... With that guy for visitations is an outrageous violation of that child's rights. Obviously the most dangerous thing in the world, setting that child up for for abuse or worse. It's just outrageous. Write letters. Write letters to the state. Write letters to the president. Write letters to the judge. The judge should be run out of town on a rail. Yes. But does the law allow it? Like, that's part of the problem, the underlying statutory schemes that allow this situation to continue to go on. Well, we have a lot of archaic laws that are still in the books, and fortunately, a number of them aren't actually enforced anymore. But even if they are on the books, no judge should be that ignorant. No judge should be that blatantly irresponsible, putting a child with somebody who is a known convicted rapist of that mother. Of that child's mother. Right. It's not even supervised visits. Just giving the guy custody. Joint custody. It's it's shocking. And that forces a victim to deal with, 
a perpetrator Horrific. like average people deal with each other. That's when they refer to cases involving teachers and students as relationships. Right. Well, when someone rapes you, it's not a relationship. No. no. It's terrible. And I think we're running a long time, but one of the things we'll do, Jim, is I want to put on our Facebook page and Twitter, we'll put the name of that case that gave that rapist custody. I'm publishing the name of the judge. Great. I'm going to let all our listeners see it, and then they can all write in to that county, that judge, those citizens there. We'll give you the addresses. Absolutely. It's work to change the law. So I know you want to get back to this. So grandma goes to jail, dad goes to jail. The minute dad walks into jail, a campaign of terror against mom begins. Oh, oh seriously. A true cyber-stalking campaign of terror. Mom gets the termination of parental rights. That kind of really riles folks up, right? Mm-hmm. Folks in the family. Folks that the family has gotten to, to believe this nonsense about the mother. Multiple CACs that say this child never disclose anything. They adore their mother. So dad gets out. Dad files a petition to lower his child support. Now, when his rights were terminated, the child support stopped, obviously, but he owed mom and the state of Delaware a lot of money. I think it was about $60,000. So he's on probation, federal probation, gets out, files a um, petition to lower the payments. Mm-hmm. Really no need for him to come from Texas where he's now living with his parents and his sister nearby. Mom enters the courthouse. Grandfather and father had entered the courthouse about 30 minutes earlier. Dad went upstairs. Grandpa stayed in the lobby. And as mom entered the courthouse, he stepped from behind a post in the courthouse and shot her to death. <gasps> And oh, God. Oh, Patty, I did not. Oh, my God. I thought friend, that, Oh, my God. I'm That's sorry. terrible. Her friend, who came with her, shot her to death. Mom took three bullets directly to the heart. The second shot, she put her hand up to her heart. So the bullet went through her hand into her heart. And the friend, a lovely woman, went to run. He shoots her in the back, shoots her dead, shoots at the cops, shoots at the court security. You can imagine it's 8.20 in the morning in a busy courthouse, which has family court, superior court, court of common pleas. So tell me that he was stopped. Mm, He ran for the door. Like Um, to to go into the courthouse? No, ran for the door to get out. They had parked actually across the street, which was a Obviously no metal detectors? Not... In the entryway to the courthouse, metal detectors you have to go through before you go upstairs. So this is, what what did somebody refer to it as? The anteroom, the anti-area. So you come into the courthouse and then there are the big construction pillars. And he stepped from behind that pillar. And she actually recognized him. Oh, jeez. And shot her to death. Our courthouse riddled with bullets. Man. In, you know... People coming for, I mean, the Court of Chancery hearing. People coming for all sorts of things there in the courthouse in the middle of a gun battle. Yeah. He went for the door. We had a revolving door at the time. And it was one of those revolving doors where if you push on it, 
it will stop. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it stopped. And of course, another man was in there coming into the building as right. Tom Matusiewicz tried to get out. And um, gunshots back and forth. And he took his own life in that having killed Christine and her friend Laura. Um, what a coward. Dad, of course, is sitting upstairs when all this hoo-ha happens, this trauma in, in our courthouse. Remember I told you there was a guy named Schreiner at yes, the very beginning of the kidnapping? Yeah. yeah. He is now a court security officer upstairs. And the word, you know, it's total lockdown. The word comes up who, who the decedent is, right. who got shot. And he said, is there a David Matusowitz in the courthouse? Someone needs to find him. Because he knew. As he was headed for a back stairway to escape the courthouse, or so he thought, Schreiner was able to secure him. Wow. And so for the first time, um, now everybody said, I remember the next day in Bo's office, and of course he wasn't the shooter, but the United States Attorney's Office and the FBI stepped in, and we knew, because Bo Biden knew VAWA, the Violence Against Women Act, there's a provision in the Violence Against Women Act on cyber-stalking, and if cyber-stalking leads to death, it is punishable by life in prison. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so the very law that former Vice President Biden wrote we were able, and when I say we, I'm telling you the FBI, of which I am not a member, on <laughs> um, the U.S. Attorney's Office, did an amazing job. There were, I think, maybe 20 unindicted co-conspirators. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. They tracked this case from Panama to Texas to New Jersey to Maryland to Delaware. They left no stone unturned. And they built an amazing cyber-stalking case. So even though the shooter was dead, the cyber-stalking that David Matusiewicz started in prison, and I, I hope I get this right, we need to take care of the bitch. I should have taken care of it the first time. That's what he said. Something along those... So it sounds like they built an amazing case. Please tell me he got convicted. He, his mother, and his sister, all convicted, all sentenced to life in prison. Wow. And his mother passed away. Let's see, the sentence came down in February of 2016. Bo never got to see that case concluded. Oh, what a shame. Um... All sentenced to life in prison, and his mother died about six months later in prison. Well, you know, Patty, I like to call life sentence in federal court a pine box sentence mm. because it means uh, you're coming out in a pine box. Right. There's no parole for life sentences right. in federal prison, and I'm happy to hear that well, that's what he's getting. So it was the first cyber-stalking case under VAWA that has ever been prosecuted by incredible investigation by Joe Gordon was the lead on the FBI. Jamie McCall was the lead U.S. attorney. Um, Did an amazing, amazing job. And we worked that case. I'd never worked with people that worked so hard. 
On the flip side, civil side, I personally handled it. Of course, now I have three little girls with no mother, no father, no family that could take them because they feared for their lives. So what happened to these little girls? And that's the best. That's why it's my best case. Why? Because they were adopted by, I can only tell you, an amazing mm -hmm. mom and dad. And the mom often says to me, I know someone died so that I could be a mother. Oh, Patty. And they cherish these little girls. It was a hard time. We had to take them to say goodbye to their mother because they had already been told once she was dead. And their psychologist oh, said to me, geez. Patty, you have to take them to so say goodbye. had to see their mother's dead body. And I will tell you, that was one of the hardest days of my career, to take these little girls to say goodbye to their mommy. But where they are today, in 2017, I can tell you the love and commitment of a lot of people. Their guardian ad litem, both guardian ad litems. One, a retired judge who took on the guardian ad litem responsibilities in federal court, which were huge because the oldest child had to testify. Oh. And that was the first time she had laid eyes on her father since they had been separated in Nicaragua. Wow, Patty. And she looked at that jury and said, my mother loved us, and she never hurt us. Well, that is an amazing way to end this powerful, disturbing, and yet hopeful case. Because life is sometimes very difficult, and this was obviously a sick, demented family that their father had, and the fact that they could just wreak such havoc on their own little children and then kill the mother of their children and her friend after doing horrendous things to them in the first place, being caught for it and still taking it to another level. Well, Patty, we really appreciate you coming and telling us about this case. This is just blows our mind. Um, this was definitely a tough one, Patty, but if no one else has done this for you in your career, I just want to say, for Jim and I both, thank you for all you have done for children. Absolutely. It's been my, my great pleasure. Well, signing off now for best case, worst case. Stories about child sexual abuse can make us feel powerless, but the good news is that there are organizations working to prevent abuse and keep kids safe. Darkness to Light and their Stewards of Children Prevention Training has trained more than 1.4 million adults to protect, recognize, and react responsibly to child sexual abuse. But there's more work to do, and with their 4 million by 2020 goal, Darkness to Light is setting their sights on training 4 million adults around the country to keep kids safe. By donating to Darkness to Light, you can help reach this goal that will make communities across the country safer places for kids. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org today to give. That's www.d2l.org.